it's time for the July 14th, 2023 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review. A personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history broadcasting on Pandemonium Day from the University of California at Irvine on KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And... As always, the straw that broke the camel's back, Mahler, the fake news dog. There he is. Good morning. Good morning. Bushy tail. Mahler. Good morning. You know, Nathan, I'd like to amend what you just said about him. I, I don't think of him that way. I think of him as the straw that stirs the drink. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah, a, he's kind he's of our Reggie animal. Jackson. He's our Reggie Jackson in some ways. Reggie Jackson. That's a reference to Reggie Jackson. Oh, he, he was the, the he, he impetus was, behind the, the, the extraordinary cons- yeah. uh, success of his team. Yes, he was. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, Mahler is that way. Yeah. He keeps <laughs> us up. Yeah. 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 And annoyed. <laughs> Just like yeah. Reggie Jackson. He's. I've seen him. Uh, he's been... Eating some uh, lab-grown meats now. <laughs> oh. I don't know what kind oh. they are, but they're experimenting on stuff here at, okay. at uh, UCI. Yeah, and yeah. they just toss them whatever they don't use. <laughs> lab-grown meats. What do you think about that stuff, Mahler? Is it good? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever tried any lab-grown meats? You mean, is the Impossible Burger a lab-grown meat? Is that what that is, Impossible Meat? You know what I'm saying? There's a product called Impossible Impossible meat. Burger, I think, is plant-based. Okay, then I yeah. have not, to yeah. my knowledge. Uh, Lab-grown meat is not vegan ah. because it's cultured cells taken from animals, ah. and then they develop the meat from that. Okay. However, it's, it's usually uh, cruelty-free, but sometimes for lab-grown meats, they use fetal bovine serum, which is obtained by killing fetal cows. Oh, okay. So, but they're only taking an itty-tiny bit of it, mm-hmm. you see. Mm-hmm. Well. Yeah, I, I know that's no excuse, yeah, but yeah. nevertheless, plant-based meat, on the other hand, is vegan, but lab-grown meat is more sustainable, Oh, using fewer resources to well. produce the same amount of meat. So, okay, all right. Yeah. Well, I can adapt. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if it is better and we're, you know... Eh. And there's only a few fetal cows yeah. going, yeah. what are you going to do? I would think that, yeah, so I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> uh-huh. I got I got some things going on. Here. You are, as the kids yeah. say, you're blowing up over there. <laughs> well, I think people like the idea that the Dodgers are playing the Mets. Oh, that's <laughs> has nothing to do with lab-grown meats. So yeah, lab-grown meats, the end of the world, climate yeah. disaster. But Dodgers. the Mets are playing the Dodgers in yeah. New York from what? the Atlantic. Yeah, making lab-grown meat that tastes good is not that difficult. So if you want to go out and create some, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, you, you can. Okay. You get the right people. Cattle cells taste like beef. Chicken cells taste like chicken. So it's not like you have to concoct something different. You mm. got the chicken cell. You already have the taste. Just grab a chicken cell and go for it. Mm-hmm. The scientists who are making these faux meats keep tweaking their aroma, texture, and flavor. So it won't be long before you can pick up some lab-grown Wagyu beef as easily as you can buy ground chuck. Mm. Now, the cost is still pretty prohibitive. I mean, it's expensive, it's, but it's I am... It's going down. Yeah, I'd imagine. And uh, considering the uh, cost of keeping up the diet that we have on the planet right now, yeah. it probably will pay off in the long term. Mm-hmm. So with all this going on, Imagine eating meat derived from the DNA of a brontosaurus. 
Oh, my goodness. Okay. Would you try it? Oh, wow, I get. I don't know. Would you try I don't a even Brontosaurus a Brontosaurus burger? Burger? Yeah. Well, if they had it right now. Well, it was if Carl's Jr. Well, yeah. not Carl's Jr., but say they had a new yeah. a new place, lab-grown yeah. burgers. Yeah. Well, if it was good enough for Barney Barney Rubble, it's good enough for me. I don't know if he ate this. Oh, Fred Fred <laughs> and Barney? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Actually, that could happen. The um, yeah. the Brontosaurus meat. Mm-hmm. America's largest cultured meat company, Vow. Recently made meat from the mammoth DNA, from mammoth The DNA. woolly mammoth, yeah. Yeah, a woolly mammoth. Yeah. Oh. So you ready for that kind of stuff? I guess. I, yeah. yeah, I guess. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> don't really, I don't... excited. I, no, I, I'm not excited. I, the, first of all, there's something I'm conflicted about. I'd like to think I'm going to continue the rest of my life to be a vegan or some version of that. And so now I'm suddenly enamored with the idea of replicating the experience of eating meat... Yeah. I just it doesn't quite jibe, but I know the protein. You know protein. Well, and that was like a it. question. Yeah. And now I'm doing this. Yeah. When I've tried to be a vegan. Yeah. Now I, I'm trying to replicate meat eating. Meat eating. Yeah. Really? I, I understand. I, yeah. I kind of. Yeah. You think you'd like to try some pterodactyl wings though? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Super Bowl Sunday. You know. Yeah, yeah you, you might have. You a might nice have some bowl terod- of pterodactyl. Pterodactyl. <laughs> yeah, kind of take it out there. From the online journal of the Natural History Museum in Rotterdam, which I always have by my bedside, (laughs) magpies and carrion crows are building nests with strips of anti-bird spikes in both Rotterdam and Antwerp in Belgium and the Netherlands. So you know those anti-bird things they'll put along buildings so birds don't sit there and poop all over them or something. I guess poop is what they're concerned about. Yeah. Such a silly thing to be concerned about. All the, everything that's going on in the world yeah, today, yeah. all the pollution and sludge that we're creating, yeah. but a burp poops on the side of the building, yeah. and, well, yeah, all hell we can't tolerate yeah. that. Yeah. But these, especially the magpies, are grabbing this stuff and building nests out of it. And the magpies are particularly enterprising because they use the pointed edges. They point them out. So they're using them for that function. Crows yeah. are just kind of, it seems like they're just building their nest out of it because yeah. it seems like a good material. Magpies are smart enough to point the spikes out to keep away, I guess, other birds. I guess. Carrie. Does it strike you that nature seems to be kind of pissed off at humans? And so I don't know if this is intended for humans. No, no, I don't. I, I see is they're practical. They are practical. Okay. I mean, we've been taking things from them for a long time yeah. and using it. Yeah. So yeah. why shouldn't they no, I'm take just thinking of the, you know, the whales running into the sailboats. The orcas. Orcas. Yeah, yeah the, sorry, orcas the orcas. And the... Sea lions are biting people and going after them. And I don't know. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Pterodactyls are coming back. You know. So you can eat them. Well, it's all good. Yeah, Mike. it's all good. It's okay, all, good. all right. Okay. Except for the end of the world, <laughs> it's all good. If you think eating a Mahler or a Mike burger sounds yummy, may I recommend a donation to KUCI to whet your appetite? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio. KUCI 88.9 FM. From Nautilus magazine. Mm. They've done something kind of clever, that Nautilus. They're, they're uh, 
URL, or at least one of them, is N-A-U-T-I-L, not till, dot U-S. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of fun. Yeah. I don't know how easy it is to remember, but... Anyway, from Nautilus Magazine, according to new research, a third of North America's birds have vanished since 1970. One third. I know. The grassland bird population declined by more than 50%, mostly due to the expansion of farms that turned a very landscape into acres of plowed rows of monoculture. Mm -hmm. That equates to uh, 750 million grassland birds gone. God. From the population. What I mean is the consistent population. If you measure it in 1970, today it'd be 750 million less birds, grassland birds. I remember you and I commenting on birds during the time when COVID was in full. We were were, uh, uh, quarantining and all that the stuff that we were doing to protect ourselves from COVID. And I re- remember we had this conversation on weekly sing- signals about walking around the neighborhood and hearing birds that I could not recall hearing prior. To, I mean, f- uh-huh. for quite some time, I hadn't heard bird calls the way that I was hearing them on my walks with, with my dog. Yeah. And I was thinking, wow, this is, it was just such a contrast to hear birds that I just didn't hear before. And it seemed like there was this, was hoping. An uptick. An uptick in the, in the bird population. Sounds like they're going down. Yeah. Forest birds lost a third of their numbers, or 500 million birds, including warblers and speckle-breasted wood thrushes that sing like flutes. So you're missing all that flute action. <sighs> Common backyard birds experienced a seismic decline. That's where 90% of the total loss of abundance occurred. Among just 12 families of the best-known birds, including sparrows, blackbirds, starlings, and finches. This is, this is kind of sad. What is sad? It's very sad. And alarming. And alarming. From Hakai Magazine. That's H-A-K-A-I Magazine online. Mm-hmm. Of all the traits that make salmon extraordinary migratory animals, their leaping prowess... Their tolerance of both fresh and salt water, their attunement to the Earth's magnetic fields, the most impressive may be their sense of smell. Okay. I never thought of salmon smelling things. No. No. But apparently they do. Guided by odors, they imprint on their memory in their youth. Most adult salmon return to spawn in the stream where they were born. So Mm. they sniff their way back. Mm. They're kind of, you know, like our little boy here, Mahler. Yeah. They have a good nose. (coughs) Oh, Mahler. Well. But as climate change shrinks northern glaciers, got to figure that's going to pop up here. Salmon have begun to trickle into newly exposed streams and lakes. Hatchery-raised salmon take their straying to an extreme. As adults, these fish often cruise past their home hatcheries and mate with wild-born fish, distorting wild gene pools that have been finely tuned by thousands of years of natural selection. So they're not showing up. But in 2016, the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife tasked the state's hatchery research center with solving this problem. After several years, a leading candidate emerged 
a cocktail of amino acids purchased from a commercial laboratory. But the amino acid mixture was too expensive to implement. They couldn't uh, roll it over. So last spring, scientists at the Oregon Hatchery Research Center poured a relatively inexpensive brewer's yeast from beer that contains glutamate, an amino acid on which salmon are capable of imprinting, into the Elk uh, River. Oh, okay. So they got some beer in the river now. (laughs) And this past winter, the first males imprinted with the beer amino acid cocktail began to trickle back into the Elk River hatchery. Very nice. So I guess salmon have a liking for beer. I like that idea. Yeah, it's, it's actually very cool. Would there, you ever have some salmon? Do you like salmon at all? Or is that a it, meat that you don't? Well, it's, the funny thing about salmon was, or is, you have your wild catch and you have your farm salmon. Uh-huh. And I say, if you're inclined to eat salmon, stay away from the farm uh-huh. salmon. What if they improve the farm salmon like they're trying to do yeah. here? No, I, okay, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah. Or would you have lab-grown salmon? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'd be curious about some lab-grown salmon, if they could get the texture right yeah. on it. They have nice flaky salmon, just perfect yeah. flaky lab-grown salmon. That would be something I'd go for. Yeah, the curse of salmon, it, it does taste very good. And the texture of it is just as you described. Uh-huh. It's an it's a interesting food on that level. A uh-huh. little bit of lemon yeah, on that. Yeah, a little lemon. I know. Hey, I'm yeah. not going to argue it with that. It goes great with some veggies. Yeah. Some asparagus. Asparagus. There, there you go. There you go, man. Because you, you, you go from the salmon with the lemon right yeah. over the top of the salmon right over to the asparagus. Uh-huh. And you got it. From Wired Magazine. As the Arctic warms rapidly, scientists are finding that it's not only being damaged by climate change, but contributing to it. We've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. But it's worth noting because it's getting worse. Like a freezer that's lost power, the Arctic is thawing and the stuff inside of it is rotting, releasing clouds of greenhouse gases. So the Arctic itself in its decline is contributing to its decline. (sighs) When frozen ground known as permafrost thaws, it creates pools of oxygen-poor water where microbes chew on organic material and burp methane. The warmer it gets up there, the happier these microbes are and the more methane they produce. In some places, the permafrost is sawing so quickly it's even gouging methane-spewing holes in the landscape. It looks like bubbling crude, bubbling methane up, out, and into the atmosphere, which in turn makes it worse. Yeah, They're putting up satellites now that allows the scientists to be able to pinpoint where methane is actually coming up out of the ground. Oh, They're yeah. using it to mm. monitor uh, all kinds of things, including methane release uh, from mines, like from uh, fracking uh, mines and others. And, and they found a place, by the way, in Kazakhstan that is belching out more methane than I think almost any other single source in the world that was essentially not known until that point. And now, as you're saying, they're, they're, I'm sure they're monitoring how much is being released in the atmosphere now in the Arctic. I don't know what happens. Like, what is it that we'll know that they, we've tipped to a point where, with this methane release, where the Arctic isn't coming back, where it's just going to become a shipping lane? 
for oil production. Well, what's wrong with that? Yeah. Uh, from Huff Post. Because we can't say Huffington Post, it's too long. <laughs> I don't get it. I was Why, exhausted. Everything gets, everything gets yeah. abbreviated. I'm so glad these they days. changed that because I was exhausted by yeah. the time I got <laughs> no, to the end of that. Oh, yeah. no. I have to, oh, no. <laughs> Three syllables. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. How about just Huff? <laughs> well, I was huffing and puffing by the time I got to the end of that. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, it's awful. That was bad. The Blackfeet Nation set dozens of wild bison loose on tribal land last week in a historic move to restore a free-ranging herd at a time when the last remaining American bison are typically kept enclosed. The release was the culmination of a decade-long effort championed by the four tribes of the Blackfoot Confederacy, which includes the Blackfeet Nation. I was getting confused between my feet and my foot there for a while. <laughs> but it's true. I'm not, I'm not messing that up. It's the Blackfeet Nation gotcha. and the Blackfoot Confederacy. Yeah. For many who've sunk years into bringing back the animals, the bison release signifies more than just ecological restoration following the national mammals near extermination. The effort is also a way to address the legacy of the people who tethered their lives to bison for thousands of years and who today are leading the charge to restore them. The Wildlife Conservation Society helped fund the transfer of bison and have supported this restoration for years. You can find out more about the Wildlife Conservation Society at wcs.org. What is it, Mahler? I think he likes that one. (laughs) From the SFist. San Franciscoist. Okay. You know, they have the LAist. Yes. Yeah, yeah. This is the FSFist. Careful. Which might, yeah, it might be the most <laughs> difficult one to pronounce. Oroville Dam. Yeah. The tallest dam in the country holds back the second largest reservoir in California, Lake Oroville, located about 150 miles northeast of San Francisco. The lake has had alarmingly low water levels in drought years and overabundant water levels in years like this when we have healthy winter rains. Mm -hmm. They say abundant. I say overabundant because it is a danger. If its earth-filled embankments fails to hold the dam together, it would send a 185-foot wave to the surrounding valleys. That would be a catastrophe. Yeah, 185 feet. Yeah. That's a lot of feet. That's a lot of feet. This almost happened when the dam was in danger of failure in 2017 and 188,000 people had to be evacuated from nearby areas. Recently, a scathing independent forensic report concluded the fact that this incident happened to the owner of the tallest dam in the United States under regulation of a federal agency with repeated evaluation by reputable outside consultants in a state with a leading dam safety regulatory program is a wake-up call for everyone involved in dam safety. Determined to answer that wake-up call, geologists and other experts came up with a hypothetical weather event called Arc Storm. Mm. Arc Storm then demonstrated how two consecutive years of extreme storms could cause incalculable damage and loss of life to the Central Valley. As UCLA climate scientist Daniel Swain said, all of this infrastructure is designed for a climate that no longer exists. 
And that's the problem we're facing right now yeah. with infrastructure. This whole country is designed for the 19th century, not See, the 20th century. A lot of the infrastructure is based on the uh, weather patterns of the 19th century. That's right. By the way, the two things that you mentioned in that report was the earthen dam, which L.A. County, I have some experience with. I think we have one or two earthen dams in L.A. County, and they're not consequential. That's because— They're made just from piling up dirt. Yeah, piling up dirt as as an embankment along the sides of the concrete face of a a dam. And the reason is, is that they had a bad experience back in 1928. One of the very first dams built in L.A. County uh, was the San Francisquito— Canyon Dam in L.A. County, and it was uh, it failed in 1928, causing uh, a huge amount of uh, property damage and loss of life. And it was from there they did, they decided they're not going to do that anymore. Yeah. And the other thing that you mentioned in terms of infrastructure, this is the thing I don't understand. A lot of people are making a lot of money off of fossil fuel right now. However, I would I am thinking along the lines of infrastructure repair and new infrastructure that there is ungodly sums of money to be made making the world livable under the circumstances of climate change. In order to transform our world, the effort and money that would have to go into the infrastructure will make millions of people very wealthy. And I don't understand why that hasn't taken over the conversation. They're lazy. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty much it. Yeah. But imagine the amount of money you would need to transform this society into something that would be livable under They'd the They'd rather be lazy and make money the way they're making. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy w- money. Yeah. yeah. Petroleum is easy money. Yeah. <sighs> From CNN Business, Farmers Insurance will stop offering its policies in Florida, including home, auto, and umbrella policies in a change that will force thousands of people to change their insurance provider. The company said in a statement that its decision to get out of Florida was a business decision necessary to manage its risk exposure in the hurricane-prone state, which is climate change here. Mm -hmm. We're talking about really the rising sea level down there, I think is what we're mainly concerned about when Mar-a-Lago goes under. I hope it does. <laughs> I, I mean, literally, I hope it's one of the first major, like, landmarks. People go, oh, look, Mar-a-Lago's two feet underwater. Well, that's good. It's also kind of a, a nice retribution. Yeah, yeah. That they, would be such a fine bit of schadenfreude. I might just weep <laughs> for joy, you know, if such a thing were to happen. Well, the topography of Florida, uh-huh. there's lots of areas that are already pretty close to being below sea level yeah. right now. And it's and, not just the water that's above the ground. It's the water that's going underneath, yeah. which is destroying the infrastructure, the sewage, the drinking water supply, the electricity, the structures of buildings, all that. Okay. Even though you might not have water above the ground, it's seeping down underneath and making things insecure. Right. How much money can one of you idiots out there, one of you contractor people, make? Be nice, man. Re- oh, sorry, you're right. That was, an, uh, that was uncalled for. You're not idiots. But somebody in power in politics should be able to harness this. And Joe Biden, to his credit, in the infrastructure bill, wanted like two or three – or the, the liberal Democrats like Bernie Sanders wanted like two or three times the amount of money they actually allocated for mm-hmm. infrastructure for just this reason. Yeah. 
You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. What is it, Mahler? Ah. From Scientific American, a new supercomputer for climate research will help scientists study the effects of solar geoengineering, a controversial idea for cooling the planet by redirecting the sun's rays. The machine, named Derecho, is three and a half times faster than the previous National Center for Atmospheric Research supercomputer and can run more detailed models to show how regional changes to rainfall can be caused by the release of aerosols. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is a form of engineering the atmosphere. Is, yep. that, is that a fair way to put it? Uh-huh. Okay. Geoengineering. Solar geoengineering. Okay, gotcha. The announcement from National Center for Atmospheric Research comes after the Biden administration released a report that offered measured support for researching solar geoengineering as a way to slow the rise of global temperatures. The White House report follows an open letter by more than 60 leading scientists calling for more research into solar radiation modification. The process could lead to unknown disruptive weather patterns and could result in a global dependency with a junky logic. (laughs) Because temperatures could abruptly rise if the process is stopped. So you put the stuff in the air. Sure, it's all great for a little bit. But then as soon as you run out, or for whatever reason, you decide maybe this isn't the greatest thing because things are erratic. Right. You've created a a deficit in what people need because you've suddenly taken away. And a false sense of security that we don't have to do more than we should do. Yeah. Right? Yep. I got some good news here. Okay. From the New York Times... Scientists at Purdue have created a white paint that, when applied, can reduce the surface temperature on a roof and cool the building beneath it. The paint's properties are almost super heroic. I read that at first and thought, yeah, yeah, this is just a journalist getting too excited about his writing. But no, it can make surfaces as much as 8 degrees Fahrenheit cooler than ambient air temperatures at midday and up to 19 degrees cooler at night, reducing temperatures inside buildings and decreasing air conditioning needs by as much as 40%. Oh, my goodness. It is cool to the touch. So you paint something with this white paint. It's cool, even under a blazing sun. Huh? Yeah. Unlike air conditioners, the paint doesn't need any energy to work, and it doesn't warm the outside air like Mm. air conditioners do when they... Doing their reversal process right, there. Right. They're exhaust. I just think this is a fine idea. I hope the reflective uh, uh, properties of this aren't too great. That, you know, You're blinded. <laughs> yeah, everybody's it's blinded. Blind, everybody, sure is yeah. cool in here, but yeah, I yeah. can't see a damn thing. I remember when the Obama administration's scientists, they, they had a guy who'd won a, a Nobel Prize in science, and he proposed just what you're saying. Paint rooftops this oh, white. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Remember, and he was mocked. At, yeah. And also roadways. They were talking. He was talking about roadways and rooftops being painted in this some version of this white. Yeah. The right wingers were just beside themselves. Well, they're 
too stupid to recognize yeah. that there is a positive thing going on here. Why don't we discuss what can be done? Yeah. yeah. I, I understand that maybe we don't want all our roofs to be white, but it is kind of revealing in how fashion conscious, I get you say, yeah. that uh, conservatives are, in that the idea of having a white roof is yeah. it's too much for them to handle. Yeah, it's just too much. You know, we, we, want, we want a red tile roof or we want, we want a wooden shingle roof, but paint it white. Oh, no. Oh, no. What, that oh, that yeah. won't look right. Yeah. It won't look right. No, you know That's what not it, the point. You know what it would be? It would be them, in their minds, capitulating to science. I don't know. I think a lot of people feel that they want their color. Yeah. I, I remember years ago, they were trying to cut down on the reflective properties of automobiles, and they wanted to, in the state of California, cut down on the car sales of black cars, mm. any car that would absorb heat. Yeah. Because then you're using the air conditioning in the car and yada, yada, yada. But uh, going into a, uh, my dentist's office, and the technician there was just outraged. Yeah. No one's going to tell me what color I can have my car. Yeah. It's just this... Uh, Odd aesthetics that, that conservatives tend to have where you don't change the way things look. You can't have government buildings that are modern. They have to be in the style of Rome. Yeah. I, you know, I think there's something in the American psyche that goes back to our founding. We were basically a penal colony and, and people fleeing from oppression in, in England for religious persecution and all that. I think that has carried forward, and, and it's associated with being patriotic, this, this attitude that you're, you're expressing. And I think it was the culmination of it for the modern era is Ronald Reagan when he said, you know, the nine worst words you can hear in the English language, I'm with the government and I'm here to help. Remember that whole yeah. mentality? And it permeates this lunacy of the right wing it has ever since. And I, there's some of that. There's some of our sort of innate sense of being an American that we will not be told what to do. Yeah. Well, it was a good story until we got hold of it. Yeah. Because this white paint is a great story. Yes, thank you. And we, we should, we, we we should use to, more of this yes. and really look into this, testing this because it would be an easy way. Yeah. Just paint something. If you could paint a building and, yeah. and cut down air conditioning by as much as 40%. Yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome. beautiful. On my, I'm going to shave my head, and I'm going to paint the top of my head white. Well, that would be an improvement. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> From Los Angeles Times, U.S. officials approved the first over-the-counter birth control pill which will let American women and girls buy contraceptive medication from the same aisle as aspirin and eye drops. The Food and Drug Administration said that it cleared Perego's once-a-day Opil uh, to be sold without prescription, making it the first such medication to be moved out from behind the pharmacy counter. The company won't start shipping the pill until early next year, and there will be no age restrictions on sales. The FDA's new decision has no relation to the ongoing court battles over the abortion pill, Mufapristone. Opil has only progestin, which prevents pregnancy by blocking sperm from reaching the cervix. It must be taken around the same time daily to be most effective. Okay. That's good. Yeah. That's yeah. a very good news. I wonder if uh, anybody will be upset over that news. Well, I'm sure. I'm just try, I, was <laughs> I was going through this, these permutations in my brain like, okay, 
how is this going to come out? Right. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, what I keep coming back to is the Monty Python. What does Ron Santos think? About what does Ron Santos think? Yeah. But that Monty Python uh, skit in uh, Meaning of Life, every sperm is precious, every, you know, uh-huh. yeah, whatever. From the New York Times, Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers used a quirky rule to edit the Wisconsin state budget and raise the cap on public school funding until the year 2425. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, Evers yeah. raised the amount that school districts <laughs> could generate through property taxes by an additional $325 per student each year and with the slash of a hyphen and the snip of a zero and the addition of a four, changed the length of the agreement from 2024 to 2025 to 2024-2425, <laughs> increasing the budget by an extra 400 years. <laughs> Because Evers' veto eliminated only entire words and digits without combining two or more sentences to create a new sentence, it appears to be legal, according to director of the Wisconsin Legislative Reference Bureau, a nonpartisan agency that provides research and legal advice to state lawmakers. The law will most likely be challenged or appealed. Uh However, in 2017, Scott Walker... The former governor executed what came to be known as the thousand-year veto. That's 1,000-year veto. By changing the date December 31, 2018 to December 31, 3018, the edit to a law involving the cutting of school district and energy-efficient project funding that he wanted was challenged in court but upheld by the Wisconsin Supreme Court on the grounds that the challenge was not brought in a timely manner. Okay. Wow. <laughs> it's amazing that you can do this. That's what I find yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah. Actually, a lawmaker, after all this work, people have set out the dates. He had just changed them to add on a thousand years. This is your country. Yeah. From the Washington Post. On Tuesday, three Pulitzer Prize-winning editorial cartoonists, Jack Oman of the Sacramento Bee, Joel Pett of the Lexicon Herald-Leader, and Kevin Sears of the Charlotte Observer will all be let go by McClatchy newspapers. Even in a field accustomed to scores of layoffs in recent decades, the triple hit sent shockwaves through the newspaper cartooning industry. Omen won the cartooning Pulitzer Prize in 2016. Sears received the prize in 2014, Pet in 2000. McClatchy said the cartoonist firings were part of a continuing evolution. You ever notice how a corporate yeah. <laughs> structures always say continuing evolution yeah. as if this is yeah. manifest destiny? Yeah, it's yeah. natural. It's yeah. the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. Like slaughtering Indians and taking over the West. Yeah, it's it's natural. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, what the heck? The cartoonist firings were part of a continuing evolution to no longer publish daily opinion cartoons. Oh, I see. <laughs> they made a little jump there, but <laughs> what the heck. But cartoonist Sears thought otherwise. There seems to be a rethinking among corporate management over the years as to how a newspaper's opinion pages should engage with readers, he said. They've convinced themselves and the industry that readers no longer appreciate good editorial cartoons when I feel it's the boardroom itself that is uncomfortable with our satire. And I think that's pretty much true. We've had some great editorial cartoonists, and I'm just sorry to see this this art, this this 
<laughs> yeah, great Pro- sense of humor that's added to a paper taken away. Even if I didn't agree with it, I always looked at editorial cartoons and tried to figure out the logic of what that person was saying. Right. And oftentimes it was great. Oftentimes it was flawed, but I always learned something from it. That's right. By the way, growing up, we had Conrad. Conrad was an L.A. Times uh, cartoonist, won, I believe, multiple Pulitzers. And then also we had, what was his name, Ramirez? He was the one who came after. was kind of yeah, a yeah. Right, right-wing kind of yeah, perspective. Yeah, he was right-wing. He was a, a good artist. Yeah, he yeah. Did, did good cartoons. I didn't agree with him, yeah. but I always read them. Yeah. I always, I, at least I knew what that particular side he was representing yeah. was thinking. Yeah. Conrad was just uh, amazing. He was around for a long time Very with the... L.A. Times yep. did a lot of good work. Yep. From The Guardian, a Canadian judge ruled the thumbs-up emoji is just as valid as a signature, arguing that courts need to adapt to the new reality of how people communicate, as he ordered a farmer to pay $61,000 for an unfulfilled contract. In a recent case, the court King's Bench of Saskatchewan heard that a grain buyer sent a text message to clients in March 2021 advertising that the company was looking to buy 86 tons of flax at a price of $12.73 per bushel. The buyer spoke with a farmer on the phone and texted a picture of a contract to deliver the flax in November, mm. asking the farmer to please confirm flax contract. The farmer responded with a thumbs-up emoji but did not deliver the flax in November, and by that time, prices for the crop had increased. At one point in the proceedings, the farmer's lawyer objected to a cross-examination of his client into the meaning of the thumbs-up, arguing his client is not an expert in emojis. What's a thumbs-up, dude? (laughs) You mean to say if it wasn't a, like, say, a finger emoji, like a <laughs> yeah. FU emoji, he would have, I do not understand yeah. the <laughs> meaning of this. Justice Timothy Keene ruled that emojis appear to be the new reality in Canadian society and that courts will have to be ready to meet the new challenges that may arise from the use of emojis. Ah, so the swirling, ice cream looking, brown emoji. The turd emoji? Yeah, the turd emoji. What yeah. would you, uh, how would you interpret that? Well, I think that would be a broader definition. Yeah, it probably would. Yeah. You're right. right. I, it might be an insult. Yeah. But I don't think it would, I would take it to court. Yeah. yeah. I think a thumbs up is kind of pretty obvious. Yeah. You're saying, do we agree on this? Somebody yeah. sends you a thumbs up. Yeah. I w- yeah. would yeah, you're right. translate that as an agreement. Yeah, yeah I agree. From I USA Today. With Elon Musk at the helm, the richest 500 people on Earth added $852 billion to their fortunes in the first half of 2023, data from the Bloomberg Billionaire Index shows. (sighs) Launched in March 2012, the index is a daily ranking of the world's 500 richest people based on their net worth. In sum, each member of the 500 Richest People Club made an average of $14 million per day over the past six months. Each person, 500 of them, making $14 million a day in the last six months. Tesla CEO and Twitter owner Musk led the billionaire pack with a net worth of $247 billion. In second place, French business magnate Bernard Arnault, valued at $199 billion. He's the founder, chairman, and CEO of Moet Hennessy Louis Vuitton, the world's largest luxury goods company. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos 
was third at $155 billion. And in case you're wondering, Mark Zuckerberg, the founder and CEO of Facebook and Instagram parent company Meta, is ninth at $104 billion, trailing Musk by $143 billion. So Musk is making more than twice as much as Zuckerberg. And you might say, ah, a billion, a million, what's the difference? Well, just to give you an idea, uh, one million is the equivalent, say, of 11 days. One billion is the equivalent of 31 and a half years. Yeah. It's, yeah. There's a huge difference be- yeah. between being a millionaire and a billionaire. And to consider having over $200 billion is absurd. Yeah. You don't earn that kind of money. You steal it. Yes. Yeah, th- yeah. Good point. You do not earn that kind of money. Or to put it this way, one million is you walking to the Albertsons across the street from campus. One billion is you walking from here in Irvine to San Francisco. Oh, my God. Well, there you go. That's a good one. Like that. From the San Francisco Standard, a group of anti-autonomous vehicle activists in San Francisco placed traffic cones on the hoods of Cruz and Waymo robo-taxis to literally stop their progress. Because putting a traffic cone on the hood of a cruise and Waymo vehicle makes it go into shutdown mode and turns their hazard lights on until the cone is removed or a company technician comes to reset the car system. Dubbed the week of the cone by the activist group Safe Street Rebel, the crusade was organized in the lead up to a California Public Utilities Commission meeting originally scheduled for yesterday, July 13th. But this Tuesday, it was rescheduled for August 10th. I like to think it was partly due to the week of Cone. We want to either have autonomous vehicles not on the city streets at all or very limited. We see them causing huge disruptions already, a week of Cone activists said. It's like the state has decided that these things are going to be deployed in San Francisco without the consent of the people or the city. I kind of feel the same way. I, yeah. I don't trust these things now. It's not like I'm afraid of the future. It's just been proven that these things are causing havoc in certain areas, that they don't maneuver properly, and they're getting in the way of emergency vehicles and causing traffic jams. Yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. And finally, from the Telegraph, Wimbledon tennis tournament bosses warned spectators that the secluded sanctuary space near Court 12 will be kept under a watchful eye for the 2023 tournament, one year after numerous couples were caught using it as a spot for sex doubles. (laughs) It's a really important space, so we will be retaining it and we'll be making sure that people are using it the right way, Sally Bolton, chief executive of the All England Lawn Tennis Club, said. If people need space to go to pray, it's a quiet space for that. There's an opportunity to breastfeed in there, but we are looking for it to be used in the right way. Last season, numerous couples were caught having sex there. Others were spotted with big grins sneaking out of the quiet room, which is outfitted with two armchairs and a fold-away table. (laughs) Spectators at Wimbledon near Court 12 reported hearing sounds of moaning and groaning, distinct from the sounds of the oohs and ahs of the tennis-watching crowd. You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review Podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.